Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Big Boss Battles, Big Boss Babble. Here with me, once again, we've got Dan. Ha-ha. Which one? Ha-ha. <laughs> you see? There's the surprise for everyone. Uh, we've got I'll, a... I'll, I'll go as soon as I've responded first. Hello, I'm Dan. Yes. So Daniel. So Daniel, this is Dan too, an old friend of the site, but his first appearance on the on the B3 podcast. We have Editor Dan. Hello, Editor Dan here. <laughs> and we have uh, Mr. George. Hey, I think we should replace Editor Dan with Dan 2 now. <laughs> what, like Thing 1, Thing 2? There you go. <laughs> Excellent. That's how right. version numbers work, isn't it, to be honest? I'm redundant now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Dan oh, 1.0 has been upgraded excellent anyway so we we've had an interesting uh question in from uh, a listener of the podcast and it's um have there ever been any times where a game has led you to seek out more information on the subject of the game so for example it's uh, you know set in a certain time period as it as it led you on to try and find out more about that particular time period well i didn't know this came from a fan that's cute oh i'm gonna answer this me. Go on then, so, Mr. Mr. Dan. So obviously the best examples are things like Age of Empires and Civilization, which cover a mass of actual historic time points or points in time. But what I'd probably say is my one thing that sticks out, and I remember as that, is the Final Fantasy series. Final Fantasy VII specifically had references to Japanese religion, Norse religion, as well as a whole bunch of other stuff in it. And so for for me and probably many other people, it was kind of one step in in probing into various real world mythologies, just because of these errant, you know, tossing around of of uh, of words that sounded cool but actually had you know meaning uh, in in Final Fantasy, which they did they did at random. Like they'd be like, oh, we'll call a ship something. Yeah, let's call it. Let's call it Bahamut. Or let's call it Zapagna, or let's call it, you know, and they just plucked all these words. It was almost like someone had a dictionary of uh, mythological things and would just flick through it randomly and go, that's what we're calling our boat. <laughs> uh, for, for me personally, I probably two. One was, you know, it was Fallout 3 kind of piqued my interest actually in music specifically because the music in Fallout 3 kind of the trailer and such it kind of got it sparked my interest in 1950s music and the earlier time of music and that entire culture of, of you know what was going on around in the 50s for sure kind of you know that that time frame really sparked my interest right there yeah definitely I, I completely agree with you on that I mean I was I was sitting there thinking oh, I can't think of anything and then yeah you've just hit the nail on the head like like, like in Fallout 3 you you find the you know the, the the remnants of old cars that are burnt out, and you know upon looking into it, I found out that you know there were companies working on nuclear powered cars, and right, yeah, yeah. it was actually a real thing. I was like, Christ, that's a, that's a bit mad. That was such a bad idea. What were they yeah. thinking? But then, you know, you go further down the rabbit hole, and you find out obviously about radium, and then you find out people were shoving it up their bum and sniffing it, and using it for all kind of, <laughs> all kind of medical purposes. So it was a bit, a bit bizarre. But yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely the music, definitely the music. I, I, I mean, I, I'd heard quite a few of those songs already due to my nan and things like that. But yeah, it, it definitely led me down the rabbit hole of finding more of that kind of music. Yeah, I can probably vouch for that as well. I mean, playing Fallout 3 quite a lot, you do sort of start humming the songs as you walk around with it playing on the Pip-Boy constantly, and uh, you sort of start listening to them outside of the game as well, and 
yeah as as you said as well with uh grandparents uh they always listen to that sort of music so they've got that knocking around constantly and they whack it out on the record player when you go around so like listening to nat king cole and that sort of thing as well yeah it's great great music great music uh dan mentioned this before we started the podcast but actually dynasty warriors as well the entire romance of the three kingdoms chinese history that's my second one for sure yeah that was a definite that was definitely a large large uh point that sent me off researching things and that was amazing i mean obviously the early ones were not very historical at all uh they right, yeah. they com- they compressed it down into kind of like five or six moments from the novel uh are you, but, yeah. are you telling me guan you did not kill 500 people in one battle oh yeah i mean i was ignoring that i was just generally talking about the characters and about the 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 events of it i mean yeah i mean that whole thing is pretty ridiculous but but as in in the later ones at least when you get to kind of seven or so the campaigns are almost perfect in how they handle the events of the novel you know all of the betrayals and where this character crops up and whereas in obviously the first one you know, Lu Bu was here, or sorry, in the second one, Lu Bu was here and then he was defeated and didn't show up again in the story. Whereas in like the most recent ones, he flips sides and the guy who flips sides with him, whose name I currently can't remember, you know, then flips sides again. And and it's all in there. And that's that's pretty cool. Also, you know, you guys mentioned music, but but like obviously the Dynasty Warriors music and music from games like, you know, Burnout Free uh, also sent my my music taste down different different rabbit holes as well i mean if i hadn't have played crazy taxi i never would have you know bought an out uh outcast outcast oh my offspring, wasn't offspring. It? oh my god oh, oh what uncultured i'm gonna i'm gonna edit that out never would have bought an offspring album yeah, well, I mean, this uh, goes back to the discussion that we were having not too long ago, wasn't it? On a uh, sort of a road trip, I guess, back from another country. Uh, mo- most of sort of the the music I listen to now was heavily influenced by sort of the older sort of games. Like, as you mentioned, Burnout 3, uh, what was it, Revenge? And then there was, was it Burnout 3 Takedown? And then there was Burnout Revenge, wasn't there? Yeah, and and the SSX games as well. Yeah, the SSX games are oh, with DJ Atomica. Uh, they like they were great. I, I still think the SSX three soundtrack was my favourite. A uh, lot, little them songs are still on. Well, I still listen to them daily, to be honest. Yeah. So for me, it was more like the, the Tony Hawk games. Uh, oh, so, yeah. so, same game, same game company, really. So I guess uh, like EA was uh, Tony Hawk's as well, wasn't it? Or was it uh, owned by a different company? No, Tony Hawk's was Neversoft and Activision. Activision, yeah. yeah. Oh, it was Activision. Oh, okay. I'm probably thinking of, uh, yeah, I'm thinking of EA at the moment with uh, SSX, sorry. But also on the flip side, I had things like um, uh, Jet Set Radio and Jet Set Radio Future that made me start listening to sort of J-pop and J-rock and things like that. Yes, you did. Yes, <laughs> and I, that, I've I've said it before that the the Jet Set Radio and Jet Set Radio Future soundtracks have always been one of the first things I put on my whenever I get a new portable music player or a new phone or something. That's the first thing that goes on there because I listen to it so often. It's kind of fascinating how much of an effect gaming has on the music industry. In kind of a weird way, it really does kind of impact it quite a bit. I like that a lot. It's very interesting. Indeed. Right. So. That's the that's the opening, and now you've uh, heard it, heard everyone, and you've and Dan's 
uh, given us his first uh, bit of uh, speech on the podcast. So let's move on to the first proper topic of the day, and that is a new total conversion mod for Fallout, which is Fallout New California. Uh, built in the New Vegas, right? Yep. In the Sorry, it's for the Vegas, or it's in the Vegas engine, yep. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, so this was Project Brazil, which I think they've been working on for at least four years which makes a lot of sense why it's using New Vegas rather than Fallout 4 uh, on that part. Although I think New Vegas was a lot easier to mod from what I'm told. But it was a complete complete conversion. Uh, took place over in California with the New California Republic, which is obviously what was started by Tandy uh, back in Fallout 2. And yeah, it looks really impressive. I mean, they've, they've built new character models. They've completely voiced the whole thing. Uh, there's various different factions in there from from the older games that you can interact with it looks really impressive yeah will it, it does be a look... better story than four though yeah uh, I, I would it's it's not hard though is it to be honest no Just... i mean four felt very sort of undriven i guess like you weren't sort of uh keen on looking for your son i guess it was uh, yeah that's the, the thing they, they they put in a in a, in a story that if told properly, would be a very heavy story. It's like, especially if a planet is, is a female character, which I'm mostly doing in the game that I've got choices. If in real life I was a female and someone took my son, that that would be my one and only goal. Anything else wouldn't wouldn't ha- wouldn't I wouldn't care about. But it's just like, oh, my son's gone missing, but I'm just going to do some gardening. To be fair. Fallout 4, you know, it, 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 if you were to place it in a reality, it's, it's a very, you know, finding someone in the real world is a pain in the ass. So, I mean, yeah, eventually you probably would probably get sidetracked, even if it was your son. There's so much going on, it's dangerous to go anywhere. It, it's possible. The problem was that Fallout 4 was just really badly paced and structured. You know, that you could, you could go off in any direction and the whole design of the world was to try and gravitate you back to that central point, but it, it offered you too much freedom. And if you walked enough in, in kind of North East, obviously towards the objective or South, you'd stumble across power armor, which was this big overly powerful thing that it just seemed really easy to keep that stuff powered up. And when you were wearing it, it was just kill, kill, kill. There was no, there was no tactics, there was no hide, there was no, I'll come back later because those guys looked pretty fierce when that was there. And and that undermined, uh, to me, uh, what Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas and obviously the early ones did. Fallout yeah. New Vegas is, uh, I'm glad to see it mentioned again, actually, to be honest, what with this news. But Fallout New Vegas did the pacing really well because they completely bottled you in when it started. You had to go towards Vegas to uh to end act one at which point you could then go to the entire map and that gave you a really good tutorial a really good grasp of the world around you and it set the pace well which four didn't yeah i mean True. to be honest for even from from playing sort of i started playing uh, in the morrowind was probably the first bethesda game that i found out and i, I learned very quickly that the best way to play those games is to ignore the storyline completely and just do what the hell you want and see, I, I even find in, in New Vegas, you can still do that. You don't have to go straight to Vegas. You can if you want to, but there's still a tons of stuff you can do before you ever get there. You can end up going into Vegas at level 25 and be fully 
fully powered up. I mean, like what you mentioned with in Fallout 4 with the power armor, yes, it did. It kind of it kind of nerfed it straight away because not only did they did the almost one of the first things you see is get power armor. One of the first enemies you encounter is a death claw. Yeah. If you ran into a death claw that early in Fallout 3 or Fallout New Vegas, you would die. Oh, again yeah. and again and again because they oh, were yeah. literally the worst monster in the game. But in Fallout 4, they chuck one at you straight away and it's like, well, all right, what's next? Like just as if it's nothing, basically, really, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, which, to be honest, comparing it to some of the other monsters that are in Fallout 4, it is kind of right. Because <laughs> obviously they, there are some very ridiculous monsters in Fallout 4. Um, but yeah, it kind of just made the Deathclaw just seem like, oh, it's just a, it's just another normal enemy. It's nothing to worry about. Yeah, I'll be yeah. honest. I lost direction in Fallout Four quite, quite easily. Uh, I I sort of messed around, and I eventually gave up, and I didn't finish the game because the, it wasn't hooking me as well as like three did. Um, I, I'll play three more than anything, but yeah, four, four never had that sort of same grip for me. I guess uh, mainly because of the issues that have been highlighted with the story. To be honest, what I think happened with four is it got too distracted with the settlement system. It got way too distracted with that, and it bogged down a lot of the other gameplay elements to it, uh, which, you know, obviously Fallout Vegas didn't have. So, I mean, it, it, to see what they're doing with this new mod, it looks very exciting. I, I, what I loved New Vegas, I, I, what I loved about New Vegas was uh, all the different types of guns and all that kind of stuff. That's why I Yeah, really the, mod, the modding system in Vegas was... I mean, obviously they, they did build on it in within four but yeah the, the original we had to find the plans and then you can make the funky guns and I mean, my favorite was the i can't remember what it was called but it was the you, it was the gun that could shoot railroad spikes that was <laughs> oh yeah either, oh. either that or the junk jet yeah they were in they were in three yeah four uh sorry new vegas actually had mod mods so you could take a normal pistol and slap a silencer on it or expand the right. magazine yeah which was brilliant because actually silenced weapons you know properly featured in the game unlike in free where they were almost an afterthought uh but it's it's great to yeah it's great to see this mod coming coming to it's great that it's taking place in california which as i said before was very important in in fallout 2 uh obviously the faction that was then continued in new vegas uh like i said was started by tandy who was the daughter of the elder in the first town you go to i think was voiced by tony shalhoub in in fallout and that, actually, that's a, that's a note that we've got down. Uh, a note that we've got down here. You know, we've seen Baldur's Gate enhanced editions. We've seen Icewind Dale enhanced editions. I mean, Beam Dog are actually working on their own Baldur's Gate three. I assume they're they're uh, developing that with what was left over when the project was cancelled uh, over at Black Isle under under what was left of Interplay. But yeah, so we've got all of that. Why why isn't there a Fallout enhanced edition or a Fallout two enhanced edition or you know a licensing? Fallout, uh, Fallout Tactics Enhanced Edition, I'd happily play that. Licensing. It's as simple as that. Bethesda won't let it happen because they don't want people to remember the original Fallout. They've changed Fallout from what it was to what it is now, and that's what Bethesda want Fallout to be. Good. Yeah, it's, but... it's, it's, it's harsh, but it's the truth. They, they, yeah, want to, I mean... they want to change the history of Fallout, and that means getting rid of the first two games. Well, they're also being quite sneaky with the, the modding system now as well, aren't they? Um, leading on to sort of... We, we like the whole mod with New Vegas, it's it's actually made by the community, not like they're approved um, modders uh, in the whole creation club where it's paid mods, isn't it? Um, so 
<laughs> have you seen the comparisons of some of those mods compared to the actual community yes. ones, which are a bit better? Yeah, they're a bit silly, terrible. aren't they? It's like so, like some one of the. I think it's like you can main thing you can get is like skins for your Pip Boy and uh, stuff like different skins for your power armor. It's oh like, no, Dan, it's the next topic. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. It's a, it's a very heavy Bethesda episode. This podcast for sure. Ah, uh, sorry. But yeah, I mean, what do you think, Dan? I mean, I I don't think that the a Fallout remake will ever come unless Bethesda decide to do it themselves, which I really don't think will happen. It's a damn shame. Uh, I that said, I'm surprised that the Baldur's Gate remakes happened, considering how they were locked up and tied up after. Because obviously, Interplay are actually owned by because they still exist. They're owned by the guy who owned Titus Interactive. Yeah, yeah but. The thing is with the Baldur's Gate ones is if if you remember the reason they was only they they were originally made was so they could release them on uh, iOS. Then they released them on PC. It's true. But so it's it wasn't still... it wasn't a case of oh we, we must remake this for the PC community. The love of it. It's just just like oh no we can put this on mobile and get a whole new market involved. It was more <laughs> of a money making thing and then it switched. So yeah. But then it's still Beamdog who are a separate company. I mean I know that Beamdog obviously Trent Trent Oster was the the guy behind or one of the guys who was at was at bioware but but yeah i mean he still had to get the license from or the ip from interplay and he still had to get the dnd license from you know wizards but to, to get it done so there is a possibility yeah i just i, I don't know I, I don't think because bethesda are, are very tight-fisted well, with their licenses well, the, doesn't the original developer of Fallout 1 and 2 not get along very well with Bethesda, from what I hear? Uh, no. And no. Who was it? Yeah. Was it in, Ex- in Exile, did the original ones? Brian Fargo, yeah. Yeah, they don't get along very much. And Bethesda's been tripping up a lot recently, you know, with the Creation Club and such and such. So, yeah, I would love to see it happen. And I think fans would crap themselves if it did happen. Uh, but they just, they don't get along. So it would have to be, it could happen like in a decade or so, maybe. I don't know. Well, Brian Vargo's actually retired now. Uh, he's left video game development now. So, uh, so I suppose it would have to be in the hands of someone else. Yeah. And I mean, shame. money loosens, you know, it makes everything more smooth. So, you know, they throw enough money at something. It's going to happen eventually. I don't know. I think it could happen. I just want Bethesda to chuck, chuck Fallout back at Obsidian again. Just go, look, here's a Fallout 4 engine. You make another one again. We can't be bothered. Well, they're probably going to... I don't even think we're going to see Fallout 5 for quite a long time. There's still... It won't be a long time, time. But what you've got to think about is, obviously, Fallout 3, Bethesda made it. But Fallout New Vegas was made by Obsidian in the same engine. It was just they made... There was basically a full... A, a total conversion mod in many ways, just with a few extra bits. So, so I could see that happening again. Just give, it's giving someone else the Fallout 4 engine and just say, here you go, make a side story or, or whatever. Obsidian didn't get their bonus for that, did they? Because they were one point under the Metacritic score required for the bonus. That was the yeah. start of that whole big uh, pushback against Metacritic, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Modders so are the best. Modders are the best, aren't they? <laughs> Indeed. Look what the community and modders did for Sonic. Ah. Uh. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say on that. Yep. <laughs> I'm not going to spend half an hour gushing over Sonic Mania again. I haven't played it yet. I need to buy it still. Y- you do. It's the best game ever made. I ironically okay. got to play it at work. It was kind of fun. It is super fun times. 
Anyway, let's let's move on to the the topic that Dan's already spoiled for us, and that's and that's the uh, the yeah, the the Bethesda Creation Club. This is over to you, George. Well, I, I think the the thing that drives me nuts about this, which I think Dan mentioned a little earlier, is what what is this microtransactions? But you're not microtransactions. But yeah, it was, it was like pay it's DLC, just, but not DLC. But if you pay for in-game content, that's called. DLC or even microtransactions loosely, I guess, but yeah. I mean, I'm on the Steam page right now and I'm looking at the the, the, the CC credits and how much they cost. Go on, and, surprise us. Uh, okay, 750 is 799 This is all US dollars, by the way. Oh. Uh, 1500 1499 3000 is $24.99 and $5,339.99. Convert that. It's, it, it's all ridiculous. It's totally oh. stupid. That's... Yeah, that no, that's ridiculous. I'm I'm just I'm just trying to find it on the uh, on the UK store, for example. The the thing I saw that was that was the most ridiculous thing is that Bethesda tried to make fun of themselves by releasing a horse armor for Fallout. It looks horrific, don't it? There, but again, there, this is what you mentioned quickly when you mentioned it earlier is that there was a horse armor already made. Um, by the community a while ago that was built out yeah. of parts of the sort of rocking horse that you often find in Fallout. And that looked amazing. But yeah, this I new mean, one looks rubbish. On was, <laughs> the, new, the detail on that one was much better than the uh, the snapshot that Bethesda actually yeah. released of it, which just looked very pixelated and dull on the color. And it was just like, you, you have the cheek to charge for this, really, when you could get it for free already. Yeah, that's that's the crazy thing. I mean... To be honest, I mean, there's there's two sides of it. The way it is at the moment, it's garbage because it is just paint jobs for your power armor and pit boy skins. That's all they've got there. But yeah. if they do get some, you know, well-known developers or indie developers that actually go out of their way to make proper full-on experiences, I wouldn't have a problem paying for those. Well, yeah, but paying for skins, nah, no, no way. Yeah, well, for example, like the previous topic we were on, like they're making, they're overhauling most of uh, New Vegas. Yeah. So if they were to make like a single player expansion onto the game and it was a mod and they were, they were saying, oh, what, what's the credits at the moment? So it's like 1500 credits is 1099, but you get like a whole five, five hours ish worth of extra content. That's probably more than worth it. Yeah, uh, if that was to be an approved mod, but they would have to step up their game quite a bit compared to what they're releasing at the moment. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, I, I played a mod um, for Skyrim a little while ago that was probably about six hours long and it was fully voiced and it was, you know, tons of new stuff, a whole new story, and it was incredibly well done and that was completely for free. And that was on the special edition as well. That wasn't one that I downloaded from Nexus or whatever. That was just built into the special edition, which was quite surprising. But, I mean, that, that was amazing. But and I, and I would have quite easily paid, you know, a fiver for it. See, see, what I'm like thinking is with the whole creation club where people that mod the game sort, sort of, I guess, will be submitting this content, uh, what, what sort of cut would they probably be getting from this uh, creation club, if anything at all, really? Um, it'll probably be very low, if, if anything. Yeah, if it's anything like when they tried to pull it before through Steam, right. it will be very, I mean, that was only something stupid, like 5% that the, that the creators were getting. You know, their heart was in the right place, and I, I, 
I wanted to find something positive in this because I'm actually, I do love Bethesda. I do think they are, I know a lot of people have gripes with what they've done recently and a lot of the mistakes they've made, but I honestly do think their heart was in the right place. But I think they just keep screwing it up. They're trying to find a way for these for these modders to get, you know, because they are doing great work. They're trying to find a way to get them money, but they just keep screwing it up. Yeah, see, the the thing I find is that they're trying to shoehorn this into a game that's already had free modding for years. Right. If if they started this with a brand new game, they didn't release their Gek or Garden of Eden, you know, the creation kit like they normally do. They didn't release one for this new game and they just went straight for this this mode. Absolutely fine. Haven't got an issue with that because it's something all completely new. But because they're trying to shoehorn it in where we've had free stuff for ages, it ain't gonna fly. Right. It's just it breaks my heart because I, I honestly I I do love what Bethesda does. I think they do a lot of great stuff. And it just breaks my heart to see them kind of just keep making the same mistake. They're tripping over the same rock, and they're just making an ass of themselves at this point. Forgive my language, but they're just making themselves look silly at this point, trying to do this over and over again, reiterate it, change it up, add microtransactions, trying to make it seem hip and fresh and cool and dab and whatever you want to call it. And they're just completely messing it up. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what I was what I was going to say is, I this is actually the first I've heard of this. I guess I've been kind of out of the loop. But uh, but if they are trying to simply give off the impression that these super cool mods have been approved by the Bethesda team, ergo they're a okay and ready to go, which I'm guessing is one of the angles that they yeah, are. Yeah, uh, apparently they're tested. You won't have any kind of compatibility issues go. and things. Yeah. Then they then they still don't need to bloody charge for them, do they? They could give them the Bethesda stamp of approval, like the Nintendo stamp of approval, and then at least that would start planting the seeds for a future version of this charged marketplace to give money back to the to the modders. Yeah, well, I mean, where it's like approved by Bethesda to say, oh, this this mod definitely won't break your game. Uh, I, I mean, most people that mod their games don't, care about that anyway because they could easily just reinstall it most most people that will probably mod the game would would have would have just installed a fresh copy from the get-go and put loads of extra side content on so they can be like a tank throughout the game and just beat it in one hit really but yeah i mean it, it seems a bit silly what they're trying to do is what yeah, i'm but saying it depends because what what you're doing there you're talking from a person who's obviously done mods and things before where you've downloaded the nexus and told it where your stuff is and modified load orders and all this kind of stuff obviously this system is now you know it's built into the game they want just users to be able to go oh that looks quite nice press a button it's loaded in the game it works yeah, yeah. through like an in-game it's, menu and it's such not again. it's not made for the people who do know how to mod and can reinstall it and muck about with load yeah. orders and all that kind of stuff and modify EINI files to make things work it's, it's for casual players that just want to go oh new a, a new skin from a pit boy or ooh a, a new voiceover for a certain character or whatever and just click and it's in the game yeah i do get that i guess that would appeal more sort of to the console players as well like on the xbox uh one or I don't know about the PS4. That's a different story yeah. with the whole modding nope. community. Uh, yeah. But um, yeah, I guess that would appeal more to sort of the console player that, where they could just like bring up the menu in game. As you said, say, oh, I like that. I want to download it and it's ready to play within a couple of minutes, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what this this is about, though, really. I mean, this, I mean, we're, we're talking about this in a negative light 
purely because you know we're the kind of people that know what we're doing and we've done this kind of stuff before and we've done it for years but this yeah. is for the casual people that have never done this before and in a way i can kind of i can kind of see there is a little bit of value in it maybe not just yeah. for the skins but when you know a few better better bits come out i can see the value in it from a from a casual person's perspective but if it's £10 being charged for, I don't know, some mod, five hours worth, £10, yada, 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 whatever, whatever. Uh, so Bethesda have put how long into checking that over? Let's say 100 man hours or actually, let, let, you know, let's say 1,000 staff hours have gone into that. They are still earning a 40 or 50% cut on every version of that with obviously the first 30% going to the platform holder before it even gets down to the modder. You know, and they're wow. they're earning they're earning that cut on every single version of it that sells. You know, they're not getting a consulting flat rate fee after it sells a thousand version of a, a thousand copies. They are making profit off of other people's work without even having to contract them. It's literally people turning up at the door and going, "Hey, would you want to let this? Yeah, 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 yeah. Just drop me a dollar every you know six copies that you've sold." Have they? <laughs> Have they made it transparent? Have they do this? Uh, I'm just looking at the Steam page at the moment. Uh, just the brief overview it gives you. It just doesn't really say too much. Just buy official add-ons, buy the credits, receive discount on larger packs. That's all. It doesn't say their testing process on there. Uh, I don't know if it says it on their website at all. But what I mean was, uh, have they made it transparent how much the modder, the guy who made the mod is being paid? Oh, uh, I can't see that anywhere, no. Um, I don't know if anyone else has seen that at all, but... I haven't, I must admit. I confess I'm running off of previous information from the last attempt that they did that, but, you know, if if a modder, if she sits down and she she works on this for, you know, I don't know, 30, 40 hours, but then is, is turning out less than the developer, something doesn't seem right. I mean, it's still a better solution than not getting any money whatsoever. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, but then... It being gated by a price set by someone else is is yeah, it's, oh, it's uh, capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the way I see it as there's a, a problem. There's there's two problems here. One is there's obviously a lack of transparency. I think, which was another problem that they had right here. Because no, does anybody have a clue what the hell they're doing with this money? Or where is it going? Or what's going on? Two, I think Trent uh, Terry hit it right on the head. They need to do this with a fresh start, not shoehorn it in into something and the sad part is, is this is just wave one right they have put this plan for skyrim as well this is just the first part of it isn't it uh yeah i think so yeah um, but i think the plan is for that to to go on yeah they're gonna put it in skyrim they're gonna try to shoehorn it in there from what i understand and it's gonna be the exact same disaster which is just sad surely some people will just do what you know modders do and just you know get the files and release them and yeah it yeah. was like Just there'll be the an official and there'll be an unofficial version and the unofficial version will probably be a point one ahead anyway yeah you know, so I, I think they they risk if they're not adept enough with this or agile enough with this they they risk putting themselves out of business you know it, it, it it's great that they've launched this time without the massive horrible reaction to it but that reaction was kind of there because there were some transparency issues and it, it, it I don't know. Yeah. I'll have to look more into it before I say much more on it. To and see, honest. the thing is, when they when they first announced their creation club, they made it actually sound like they were going to be, you know, they were going to be getting in 
bigger developers from other development houses to make stuff for their games and that's clearly not happening if that was the case I'd be perfectly fine with it if it was say well you know we're Bethesda this is this is Fallout 4 but here's Obsidian they've just made a new 10 hour uh, add-on for, for Fallout 4 here you go it's 15.99 or whatever I'd say cool I'm cool with that but you know it's just it is again it's just modders that are just going blah 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 and it's the same stuff you can get for free there's really no point in this creation club for for people who know how to do it they they're going to they're trying to rinse money off the off the casuals that's all it is crappy deal is that's that's the problem it's a crappy deal <laughs> yeah, for everyone involved i i did just have a uh, a brief look through all of the website and there is absolutely no mention as to like how you can apply to do it how much you'll get a cut of it um and how much of bethesda takes it yeah there's no sort of mention whatsoever on there so wow yeah i mean that was a brief skim of it but yeah i was looking for sort of like percentage pay cut all that sort of thing sort of (laughs) the common words you'd associate with someone getting money i guess to be honest i've got a funny feeling that the reason that information is not out yet is probably because Bethesda haven't released it. Because if yeah. you look at what's currently on the Creation Club, it does yeah. seem to be all stuff that Bethesda has put out themselves. Yeah, it's all just sort of like own mods that they've made. Well, yeah, but yeah. that are blatant rip-offs from other people's stuff. But yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, the way the way the 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 end user license agreements is is that all mods are basically owned by Bethesda anyway. Got a, I've got a blurb here from Kotaku AU that I'll quickly run through, actually. Paid mods were uncurated, meaning anybody could sell for any price. Creation Club is to be curated by Bethesda, meaning content developers must submit a pitch to Bethesda for approval and undergo quality assurance testing prior to release. Paid mods allow uh, content developers to set a price for their content and receive 25% of the revenue. Ah, That's it? Yep. That's better than That's... I thought it was going to be, to be honest. Really? That's that's. Well, you thought it was going to be like five or ten percent, did you? Yeah, I did. That's like, well, they're beating a dead horse armor, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. I, I mean, I mean, even if it was like fifty percent, it would still be better. Like, half one party gets half for the work that they put in making this mod. The other one gets half for making sure it'll work with the game, won't break anyone's installation of it on console, PC, whatnot, uh, and just making sure it runs smoothly and sort of put any feedback over to the modders who made it i mean that would probably be a fairer cut but obviously that's not how business works is it no my final uh my final note on this in which case is how long will it be until modders sell their own version of the game on their site behind a paywall or sorry their own version of the mod behind a paywall on their site uh you know locked zip files etc well i don't know i don't think that would happen simply because i've seen people in say uh the minecraft community try and do the same thing and it doesn't work because what will happen is one person will buy the mod and then basically rip it apart and release it for free or like a nintendo will jump in and just kill the entire project (laughs) yeah yeah but it's just uh now that it's been uh now that it's essentially been uh whatever the term is I don't know, now that someone smashed the glass and it's been baptised or whatever by Bethesda saying these modders' content is worth money, here's a cut. Would that not potentially create that audience? Not create, not that audience, sorry, not you know, it, create that group of creators? It would, 
But what again? This this is something that happened when they tried to do the paid mods before. Is that it? Kind of it kind of splits the community down into two camps: the people who do it for the love of doing it, and the people who are doing it for money. And you and you quickly found when that when that happened before when they started doing paid mods through Steam, um, the people who were clearly doing it for money and started charging ridiculous amounts for their mods very quickly disappeared and were replaced with other people doing exactly the same mods for nothing because that's what the community is like in the modding scene they don't want to pay for it it's all free and most of the mod makers are are perfectly happy doing it for free so you you're going to get a different kind of modder if it goes to a, a a paid system here's my final thing on this it's a logistical nightmare uh, i don't see a good way to do it to be honest with you. There, i think there has to be a change to the fair use laws uh, there has to be, they have to figure out what they're going to do for the platformers. You know, they have to pay the consoles, they have to pay the developer, they have to pay the publisher. It's too much of a logistical nightmare. I just, I don't see how it's going to work. And I, that's just my final say. I just don't see how it's going to work. Yep. Yep. I think that's a, a good wrapping up point on that one, George. I completely agree with you. It's going to be a bit Same of a nightmare, nightmare from everyone, for everyone involved. All right. So next up, this one should be a relatively short one. Uh, recently, a golf game was pulled from the Switch for a sexy poster. Now, Got to keep to, it kid friendly. Yeah, so to I gi- love this subject. I just want to, to say so, that right now. So to give you a, a bit more, bit more detail on this. So this is um, Infinite Mini Golf, um, the latest in the the Mini Golf series that started back on the on the 360 days with uh, Mini Golf Adventures and things like that. So in uh, one of the levels, there is a uh, the the theme of this particular level pack is a giant's room. So you're playing on courses made out of cardboard and you're very, very small compared to everything else in the room. It's kind of like Toy Story, if you if you imagine that. So in the background, there's a, a poster and there's quite a gruff looking alien on this poster. <laughs> and, uh, he, you know, he looks quite angry, uh, but seemingly he's he's particularly relaxed because he's sitting there with his cock in his hand. <laughs> and uh, so, 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 what happened was uh, obviously the game got released on the Switch, and then the EERSB, the ratings company, uh, saw this after it was released and immediately gave the game an AO rating. So, yeah. so, so it went from a from a, a an E rating, which was for everybody, up to AO adults only. Which I think you might want to correct me on this, George. But in America, if something's AO. It means stores won't carry it, and online stores are not allowed to carry it. Uh, I think you just have to have a parent with you to buy it. They still carry it, though. I thought that was M, but AO is the is the top level that adults only and stores will not carry it if it's that rating. It's, to be honest with you, I haven't bought many AO Fair games, enough. so I don't really Fair know. enough. But I think it was it's the same thing that happened with Manhunt 2. It got given an AO, so no one would carry it, and therefore they had to take bits out of it to get the rating lower. But yeah, so it immediately went AO. So it wasn't even it wasn't legally allowed to be on the Nintendo Switch online service and there's no physical version of it anyway. So it had to be taken down until they get rid of it. And they've put out an apology and gone, Oops, sorry, we didn't realise we had an <laughs> alien having a wank in the background. <laughs> they knew. They but yeah, knew. I would imagine they probably did know, yeah. I mean, would playtesters not have like pulled that up in the game? Or yeah. Like that? Well, to be honest like with you, because I was playing it yesterday, I've got the PC version, and you really have to manipulate the camera and get it in the right angle to be able to see it. Oh, so, so it's not even if if like 
you wouldn't know it was there unless you were actively looking yeah. for it. And I think yes. the only reason it came out is because, you know, the, the, the title of the game called Infinite Mini Golf is because it's got a creation kit in it. Right. So, so when, so, and I've, I've played through most of the courses that are built in and I couldn't see that poster from, you know, I could see parts of it. I might see the head of it at one point or the bottom part of it in another, on another hole, but you don't see the whole poster on any of the holes that you play in the built in courses. It's only yeah. when I started playing some of the, the created uh, course of holes that I would actually see the poster. So that's why it probably got through the rating initially because there was no online stuff and I then changed later. Were, I guess you could say they were focused on the wrong balls. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's a low joke right there. <laughs> yes, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> but a good one. So yeah, I can, under- I-, so I can understand where the error came from because you don't really see it during the course of standard built-in gameplay and it only came to light when the online stuff came starting to come out. But this reminds me of it. I'm sorry, this is going to be a little bit of a tangent, Terry, and you can that's fine. later for no, this. No, that's fine. It's a short but one anyway, so go re- ahead. This reminds me of that entire Disney thing with Little Mermaid. I don't know if this happened over in the UK, but they released Disney on v- the Little Mermaid on VHS and on the cover. Nobody noticed, but on the top, it was a, it was a, part a, of the, a penis. A penis. Yeah. A penis. Right? And then you've got, you've got the, um, what's it, the, the, not Rescue Rangers. I can't remember, but there's a, one of the films where you, they they it's the it's the two mice people and they're oh, on the, the back rescues. of the sea rescuers, yeah, and they go past the window that's got a naked woman in it. Oh uh, my god! Did you say that was um? Did you say that was on the Little Mermaid uh, yeah, VHS yeah. cover? Yeah. On the cover, it looks like a penis. Yeah, I, part, I need part, to see this. Cover. I, just, I just want to make sure it doesn't <laughs> look like one. It is a penis without yeah. a shadow of a doubt. But you had things like in Lion King, there was apparently dust that went up in the air that said sex and. Yeah, there's there's been stories of all manner of things, but a lot of them have been sort of sort of debunked over the years. So the, the or, so, so the Lion King one, where it. everyone said it said everyone sort of thought it said um, sex. Yeah, it was actually SFX, which was the name of the company that was doing the effects for oh, the film. Yeah. So, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't surprise me if someone did try and sneak this in on purpose. These are just bored animators. These just go. We've got an alien having a wank in a Nintendo game. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we beat the system. Yeah. <laughs> ah, beat the system. Uh, yeah. Nicely done. Nicely done. <laughs> right. Anyway, yeah, like I said, that was a, a quick little one, a quick uh, silly little story. But, I mean, I, I haven't heard whether it, when it will be going back up or anything like that as yet. But hopefully it will us because it's uh, a good game. I I've always enjoyed it. I eight hours of sleep. fully charged and ready to go we could go on for hours but let's not let's move on so 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 apparently star wars empire at war servers are back Uh, could other games revive see revivals like this so what what i know about this uh from actually dan do you want to do you want to take this one on mr dan sullivan yeah sure uh, yeah, sure. I'll have a little chat about it. So I've not actually played the Star Wars Empire at War games, although I was a massive fan of RTSs, or I still am actually, uh, and this is always held in high regard. Basically, it was a very popular RTS, and then the servers got shut down because that's what happens to old games, uh, old multiplayer games. They get put out on the farm, and you can only play the single-player campaign after that. But uh, completely out of the blue, Disney have announced that they're going to reactivate the multiplayer servers and they're back online uh, after after a lot of, you know, player demand, which is really, really impressive and really cool. I remember a few years ago uh, when I first started writing about games, uh, 
back in 2011, uh, every month there was a list published by EA of which servers were going to be shut down and when, because they were going through and killing off all of the 2007 and 2008 version of games, uh, because it had been about five years since they came out, and it was the same console. Yeah, it was kind of the 360 servers and such. And, you know, it just became this thing that you looked at and you looked out for every week or, or sorry, every every month or every two months. Kind of like, oh, Fight Night Round 2, round two has had its server shut down. Oh, FIFA This has had its server shut down. And it was it was awful. You know, it was like all of these old, obviously, annual games being being put out to die. And the fact that Disney, who have been pitched as a rather heartless uh, publisher previously, with the fact that they suddenly dropped all of their development studios and just started licensing everything out, have brought this back. In my opinion, this bodes really well. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, m- my personal opinion on this is that I think, you know, if, if companies are going to, you know, take servers uh, offline and things like that, they should. I, I personally think, well, you know, they're taking them offline. So they obviously don't give, they don't care anymore, right? So why don't they just, you know, clean, maybe just do a little bit of work, clean the code up and let people have it. So, oh, what is in like just where someone can run the server on? Yeah, just PC go, we, you, know, we, you know, we don't want to run it anymore because it's costing us money and the player base isn't really there. But we know, you know, you know, maybe they know that there is a small section of hardcore players that still play it. Just, you know, find, you know, even, even if they don't just let it out on the internet, you know, have a quick search on the internet, find a community of players that are still playing that game and go, here you go. Here's the server software. Run it up on a VM. Carry on playing. See, because what you find is, is, I mean, this is something that I, I, I still have experience with now because I play with my son every now and again, is World of Warcraft. Now, I don't like paying for World of Warcraft. I used to for a, for a period of six months. I got addicted to it, but managed to get out before my bank account got emptied. Um, <laughs> but but me and my sons will, will still play occasionally, but we'll play on third-party servers because someone, you know, at some point managed to get hold of the server software for World of Warcraft. And there are hundreds upon hundreds of private world of warcraft servers that you don't have to pay for usually they've got experience boosters that so you level up massively quicker than you would do in the vanilla game and it actually ends up being a better experience and you can just drop in and drop out whenever you want and not worry about oh have i got my have i got my 7.99s worth of the gaming in this month before i pay for it again you know you can just play it whenever you want like a normal goddamn game so and and obviously like on steam a lot of the time on steam you'll buy a new game and then all of a sudden you look in your a software list and you look down the list oh there's a, a private server that i can run on a pc they should do this for more games well to bring it back to empire or um <clears throat> i mean I, I, my question would be is how much did it cost to run this game to begin with i mean what's what was the service i i don't i don't think i'm a, I'm a little bit more of a, 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 a skeptical view on this because i don't think disney's as good as good as a good guy as we think in this case, I think it was just, well, this isn't going to cost us anything anymore. So sure, let's throw them this breadcrumb and make ourselves look better. I think that's what this is. Yeah, to, yeah. to be honest, um, from from what my experience of, of working with servers and, and things like that for massive, massive companies, for a game like Star Wars Empires, to run, to run a server for even for a thousand players would not cost you much at all. Right. The, the so, amount of the amount of data being throughput is not much, um, and the amount of actual power that that would need to to run it is is very small as well. You could get away with a you know it wouldn't be physical anymore; it'd be a virtual server somewhere in the world. But you could get away with a single physical server for up to a thousand players easy on a game like that. 
And they, how old is Empires of War? How like how old of a game is it? Like what was what was that released? Nobody knows. Got it. I, don't know. <laughs> I never actually played this game. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, that was my cue, wasn't it? Two thousand and six, I think it came out. Yeah. So it's probably just not as demanding as much as it used to be. So they're like, yeah, we could do this now on our mama's grand server, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but again, I'll go back to my point. I think I think especially for the for the cases of preservation uh, of gaming, which is, is seemingly getting a bit of support now in the in you know in these late years should have been looked into years ago but in in the case of preservation i think server software does need to be preserved alongside the game itself because there are hundreds and hundreds of games that you cannot play without a server every mmo that's come out with that said i completely agree with you terry i want to see city of heroes come back i think i missed that game very much oh god i remember playing uh city heroes not for very long, but, you know. It was a great, fun game. It was so creative, and it was completely original. And yes, I think more games deserve this kind of treatment. They do deserve to come back, and yeah. But it's, I, I don't know. As far as giving out the code goes, isn't there too many legalities and all that? Um, I've just looked this up. There are plenty of City of Heroes private servers already out there, so the, so the software is out in the world. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> But I think it, it needs to happen more and it needs to happen officially. You know, you, know, you can go down the whole route of, you know, we're not, we're not supporting this in any way, shape or form. We're not going to look after it. But here you go. If you want to set up a server to play with your mates, go for it. Because I actually looked but- into it for World, for World of Warcraft. So when, we, when my son was playing it, to, to run a, a single server for just, say, me and my two boys, I could run it on a, on a VM with two gig of ram only like a gigahertz virtual processor it was super super tiny if you want to run yeah, a private well, server just to play with you know up to 10 of your friends it's going to be such small uh requirement to run that server yeah well i mean you can pick up pcs that have like uh dual core hyperthread i3s in as you said with like two or four two gig or four gig of ram and that'll just run it no problem i mean Obviously, you can't overload it with multiple things, but if you give it that one thing to do, it will do it fine. Um, but yeah, um, as you said, it needs to be more sort of done by the developers, I guess. Uh, they need to have more of a part in it. So, what what games do uh, do, you, do you miss? Any games in particular, the Dan's? Uh, none particularly myself. I I usually stuck mostly to single player experiences of games. I was never very much a an online gamer um i didn't get internet until quite quite late into playing games i guess so uh that's probably that probably didn't help it really i must admit the the thing that i miss most is is not a a particular game server and it's more a full service and that was GameSpy. if anyone ever remembers GameSpy. oh my god that's old (laughs) yeah that was a long time ago but see there but but with that, there is a lot of games that multiplayer will only work with GameSpy. So you can't play multiplayer on them anymore. And it's not down to, a, you know, a single individual game server. It's an entire service is down that took out tons and tons of games. And that's probably what I missed the most because that was sort of when I started playing online games was GameSpy stuff. They need to do this for um, <clears throat> Star Wars Galaxies, the original, original one, not the new crappy one they made. After the post patch, but you know, yeah, that would be sweet. Them's fighting words. <laughs> um, what? I've heard good things about the new one, actually. 
but uh, but while we're at that point, I think that Matrix Online. I know that there's some some people out there running a fan server, but but yeah, if if all of a sudden four or five servers cropped up for that, you know, and someone even managed to get running community events again, that could be pretty, you know, something special. Yeah, sorry, just just on that point as well. I just again looked it up, and I looked up Star Wars Galaxy's private server, and my first link was a link to the top one hundred private servers for Star Wars Galaxies, <laughs> the original one. So yeah, there's plenty yeah, out there I mean, if you want to play. So like in an official capacity is what I'm saying. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like I said with the Warcraft stuff, so some of the because they've got control over everything, some of the changes they make to it actually make the game more enjoyable. They, you know, the original World of Warcraft was a massive grind fest, but because they crank it up to like eight times experience, you can start blasting through the games and get to the good end game end game content really quickly. So in a lot of ways, it can it can actually enhance the experience. It's a cool thing. Um, hopefully, you know, the, the pipe, the dream is that yeah, more companies will do this. But the question is, is will they? And I don't really know because it does cost some pennies, but it is pennies. So these companies are kind of cheap. <laughs> yeah agreed completely agree <laughs> so anyway let's move on to the last one this is something that i wanted to just just bring up uh just for a little while i don't even know if anyone else is going to have any input on on this uh but my my, my question was flash carts whether they're good or bad for the retro player now for those uh that are not in the know um a flash cart is a a, a device for a, a cartridge based uh, game system that usually has say an SD card slot in it so you can uh, put all the ROMs that you can download from shall we say less than legitimate websites on the internet uh, and be able to play them on original hardware which for a lot of people is is the preferred way of playing it I mean emulation is good don't get me wrong I love emulating stuff but flash cards do enable you to get that original feeling original controller slipping that cart in and you know, CRT TV, if if you go that far, like I do, it's quite sad. But, but yeah, it enables you to use the original thing. And I think for if, you, if you're like me, I'm a retro player. I don't call myself a collector because I think the collector's market has just, it's just gone stupid. And, you know, there's games out there that are, you know, a thousand, a thousand pounds in, in many cases. And it's I'm not going to pay that money. Yeah, it is. It's completely insane. I don't want to buy a game and have it sit in its packaging on a shelf. I want to, I want to get a game, slap it in my Super Nintendo and play it. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, I, I think the flash carts are, are good for retro players. I mean, you, you sort of separate retro players from, I guess, retro collectors, really, yeah. already. Um, cause I was speaking to sort of a friend recently yeah, that they're, they're very into collecting sort of, uh, NES and SNES games at the moment, mainly the Castlevania series. And, uh, I was asking them how much they'd spent on it recently. And they were saying, oh yeah, I bought a, I bought a cartridge for around about 150 pounds. And I was like, that's ridiculous. And he said, oh, I've got to have the complete set. And I was like, well, yeah, but I could, I could emulate that on my PC for, for nothing. Like. And he like he it's not like he keeps them on shelf. He does play them, but I understand the collector side of it. But when it costs hundreds of pounds, I don't think it's worth it to be honest. Um, so I I, I prefer I, what you're saying, flash carts where you can play on original hardware. That would be my preferred method. Yeah. Okay. I'll I'll play a devil's advocate. I'm putting cool. on my devil's advocate hat here. <clears throat> but what about piracy? This is harumph. No, this is illegal. Right. So. My, my my view on this, and I've I've given my views on this on this before, is that 
So the reason I won't I won't pay a lot of money for old retro games is because it's not helping the original developer in any way, shape, or form. Anyway, it's coming from another collector, and I'm just going to be lining his pockets. It's pure profit at that point, isn't it? So. Indeed. I'm no matter how I play it, whether I emulate it, download the ROM, or buy it for a ridiculous amount of money for a reseller, the original developer is still getting bugger all. Also, if there is no other legitimate way of buying those games. Why the hell not? I mean, how else are you going to play them? Yeah, I mean, but, yeah, but my, 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 when it comes to old stuff, is that if, if there's no legitimate way of buying it, or the only, or the only way of actually buying it is through a third party that's not going to help the developer, I don't see any, I don't see any problem with it because they're not getting anything out of it either way. As you know, I mean, you know, I've I've bought even though I I love emulation and I've got flashcards, I've bought a ton of games on Virtual Console, and I've bought you know I've I think I've got the pretty much the entire collection of Mega Drive games on the Mega Drive Classics collection on Steam. Yeah, if if it's available to me, I'll 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 pay up. But if not, I'm going to emulate or flashcard it. <laughs> For the record, Big Boss Battle TM does not support piracy. If you're going to sue us, don't sue us. <laughs> please no obviously flashcards um i mean even though they've been around for a long time they came to prominence really around the ds era where uh, yeah it, they, they, pop, they, they practically became mainstream for the ds i don't think i knew someone who didn't have a flashcard for that for their ds it was they were so common it was ridiculous um but over recent years uh, especially the the ones that i've bought personally so a guy called k chris um, makes things called the EverDrives, and he's made EverDrives for practically every cartridge-based console out there, except some of the more obscure ones. I don't think there's a Jaguar one or a Virtual Boy one yet, or things like that. Um, but his ones are absolutely fantastic. I've got one for my, I've got a Game Boy one, a Game Boy Advance one, uh, a Mega Drive one. Um, the Mega Drive one's interesting as well, and it highlights um, a fascinating feature of the original Mega Drive. If you remember for the Omega, Mega Drive, there was a thing called a power base converter. Does anyone remember that? Uh, no, I mean, Sorry. I'm looking, I'm looking at the Mega Drive right now as you're saying. It, the power base converter could enable you to put Master System games and play them in the Mega Drive. Oh, it's sort of like a, an adapter cartridge that goes in on. Yeah. Was it? But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, but the thing was, it was literally just a pin adapter. There was no real hardware in it at all. All the hardware to play Master System games is in the Mega Drive already. There was nothing in the Powerbase converter. It just, it just literally lined up pins differently. So with the Meg EverDrive for the Mega Drive, you can fill it up with Master System games, chuck that in, and play them all natively. Oh, so, so that uh, adapter, the, the one you're talking about that you bought, yeah, so that, that has the sort of pinouts for, for both the cartridges in it as well then, does it? Well, no, because what I'm saying is, is obviously the Master System cartridges and the Genesis car or Mega Drive yeah. cartridges had different pinouts. Oh, yes. Yeah, but sorry, because uh, they're now all coming off of one cartridge, it just loads the, the ROM data into the same no pins. There's no need to adapt it. Yeah, there's no need to adapt it, so it just works. And I thought that was fantastic. And it also highlighted the fact that the Genesis Nomad couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> which I was upset about. This conversation is too retro for me. I have to throw in some Call of Duties here, microtransactions, <laughs> dabbing. But George, you're, you're one of the oldest ones of us here. I'm sure you are. I know. I'm just <laughs> no dabbing. Dabbing. Dabbing is not condoned. Duck stabbing. <laughs> but anyway. No, to I say the duck stabbing. <laughs> 
Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it, it's starting. It's a, let's, let's cull this before it, it goes too far. So let's, let's move on to uh, the last uh, topic of the day. Uh, a word that George particularly hates. Nindies. Uh, <laughs> it, it just it sounds, 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 like, sounds like ninja underwear. <laughs> <laughs> it's catchy. I like it. I hate it. It's 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 so it's so it disgusts me because Nintendo is just putting their name on it, and it's like it's not theirs. They can't just put an N in front of it and say it's theirs. Well, they can. Of approval. Like I said, underwear that could work. That's that better kind of than underwear. Yeah. Well, it, it could be Nintendo as well. Dear God, you're a monster, man. Anyways, yes, the Nindies. Uh, I don't really remember when it happened. I think it was like August, August 31st. Uh, they had their indie showcase. It was quite a show. I watched it. It was very fascinating. A lot of cool games. I actually have an entire list right here. Let me pull that up. Whip. They had Super Meat Boy Forever, Shovel Knight King of Cards, Mom Hit by Game, Golf Story, Four Kids, Wolverblade, Polybridge, Kentucky Road Zero, Earth Atlantis, Next Up Hero, SteamWorld, Dig 2, Mulaka, which I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, Yono and the Celestial Elephants, which is one of my favorite, actually. Uh, Drunk Dragon Marked for Death, Battle Chief Brigade, Murphy's Law, Sausage Sports Club, which sounds naughty, Littlefingers, <laughs> Nine Parchments, Travis Strikes Again, and Damon's Baker's Sign-Off. Yeah, see, the one that really, really uh, got me out of that was Travis Strikes Again. Yes. That was... Another No More Heroes game. Quite the highlight of the show, for sure. Definitely. And the fact they've added some other stuff into it from other games, I think that's genius. Like The fact in the trailer you can see Travis, or the fake Travis, as it turns out to be, sitting there playing Hotline Miami on, on his TV. Great, yeah. it's like, that's just genius. So, I mean, there's a lot of things to discuss about the subject. I mean, what, what are we looking forward to? Uh, but primarily, I mean, I, th- I think it's a really good, great move by Nintendo to do to do this basically yeah. just bring in indie games to support its console but the thing is right the th- this is the thing i mean that you know they've they've gone big for it for the switch and now they're calling it the nindies and and all that kind of stuff but if you uh. a- if you actually go back and look at the um eShop for the wii u there are tons of indie games on there absolutely tons but no one knew about them because they didn't really advertise them and then obviously no one bought Wii U, but but there were tons and tons of indie games on the Wii U, and they've just kind of carried that on because obviously no one bought a Wii U. And let's let's also not give too much credit to Nintendo here, you know, for for putting all these great games on their console because that's completely the wrong way round. We don't go well done Microsoft for getting Call of Duty on your console, do we? You know, it's been developed and. Activision are going, hey, look, here it is for approval, and Microsoft are going, a Call of Duty? Yeah, I guess we'll have Call of Duty on the console this year. Yeah, that could be good. That could be good for us. You know, this is just Nintendo slightly creaking the door a little bit more open. I mean, I I like the selection that they're offering. Uh, That's brilliant. I love that they're making a big deal out of it, and it does really feel like Nintendo going, here's all these great new games coming to Nintendo, which is a completely true statement to say. But a lot of these games are also coming to other platforms. Uh, It was was the developers who made this effort. It's just Nintendo have raised the gate, as it were. They were the big stubborn gatekeeper, and now, now they are allowing more on there, which is 
making their third party game look a lot stronger, which was always their big problem previously, because now there's no conventional big third party. There's there's indies and there's the top five publishers. And, and I mean, it means that Nintendo are doing what people have always been telling them to do. But but we can't give too much credit to Nintendo for that because um, they are really just reacting to the can, times. Can, can I just raise a point? And it's a complete counterpoint to what you said. No. Right? In the fact that, <laughs> you know, I've, I've read interviews and Nintendo have actively been going out and finding indie developers to bring stuff to the Switch. They've been going out there. It's not, a lot of the time, it has not been the developers making the choice to release it for the Switch. Nintendo has gone out of their way to find and curate games to bring to the Switch. And the big thing that um, that brought a lot of indie developers on board was the dev kits. The dev kits for the Switch were literally about £100 more than a retail Switch. They uh, were seriously cheap, and Nintendo have got a have got this big uh, program where they will actively help indie developers to to develop for the Switch. I take it all back. Nintendo are brilliant. <laughs> no, 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 no. Did you know any of that, Dan? Uh, yeah, I did. Right, okay. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think you're both right. I think the way you're both kind of presenting it is actually correct. Because in a way, Nintendo always has, I mean, in their own way, they've always done their own things their own way. They've always been slightly behind the curve, but then again, they've always been ahead of the curve in a weird way. So I, mean, I think it's a combination of what you're both saying. Because in a way, yes, now Nintendo's, it is advertising. You know, yes, even if it was on the Wii U, they didn't advertise it. So they're now they're putting emphasis on it. They're making it special. They're they are bringing attention to it, and I think that's what's kind of unique about the situation, is that they are officially saying, "Hey, we want indie games on our system." Uh, but at the same time, I agree with Dan because you know so has everybody else for ten years now. It's not anything right. new. But again, you've also you you also um, putting putting aside the the point, and it's a big selling point of the Switch is that yes. All these indie games may have been out on the PC for two or three years, and they might be on the Xbox or the or the <laughs> PlayStation or whatever. But guess what? Now it's portable. Now you can take it wherever you want to go, and that is a massive, massive selling point. Okay, maybe I'm, I'm saying this because I work for PlayStation, but technically you could do the same thing with the Vita. That isn't new. Uh, yeah, if you've got a decent network connection to enable you to link back to home. You can play it while you're taking a massive vacation. The Switch, you don't need any internet connectivity. You've got it on your system. You couldn't do that with a Vita. But what I would, but I mean, what I want to come back to is that that thing that was slightly passed off a second ago, and I hate to lean on it because I see this argument and it, it literally makes me roll my eyes. But, you know, we, we can't pitch these nindies as something new. <sighs> they, they, they are just games which is great more games coming to a platform which is brilliant and should be celebrated but it should not be celebrated as some great innovation you know we could do all do the roll eyes oh yeah yeah you've got so many exclusives microsoft huh? but they're all out on windows as well aren't they you know we could do exactly the same thing to nintendo with this third party selection that's fine because it's a third party selection we should be celebrating because nintendo has a third party selection I don't think calling them nindies and going, yeah, Nintendo, well uh, done, helps too much. But it is great that they're getting all of these games. And uh, obviously the Elephant game that you mentioned and mm -hmm. stuff like that uh, that's being celebrated on Nintendo because it kind of, 
I suppose they're celebrating it because it kind of captures that Nintendo style. It's it's happy and it's friendly and it, it's accessible in appearance. You know, that's the kind of stuff that I love to see Nintendo promote as great. We have secured this. You know, right, right, and I think that yeah. that's what needs to be underlined here is that it, it's this is kind of good for everybody in a way because it's good for indie games because one, it gets them more exposure. And you know, being on more more consoles is never a bad thing. Two, it makes the Switch more useful, more valuable. And up till recently, a lot of people were questioning, "What the hell am I going to do with my Switch other than play my Zelda game or Splatoon or Splatoon?" You know, or arms. No, not arms. No one's playing arms. <laughs> I played arms, and I quite liked it. Actually. Oh God! Would you mean, oh God? Arms, <laughs> quite a fun game. It's, I, I, I like it. arms. I like arms. I think it's very niche. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. Um, although, yeah, I know I, I liked arms. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to defend that. All right, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not saying anything against arms, but it's no Breath of the Wild. That's all I'm saying. Um, well, this this is coming from someone who's not really played Zelda, to be honest. I it never, yes. never. Oh, I, I, I knew that was. No, I never really liked Zelda. It wasn't my thing. <gasps> then again, I never really got bought a Nintendo system when I was a child. It was always uh, like a Sega console or a, or a, a PlayStation when that came out. So, uh, don't worry, mate. They've they've all been rubbish since Link to the Past, anyway. <laughs> oh. Here it comes. The... Okay, well, that's the end of the dance for the future of the podcast. For the record, it'll just be me and Terry from now on. No, whereas I will agree that the Links of the Past is the best Zelda game ever made. Ocarina of Time was a masterpiece as well. But anyways, just yeah, I think it's a good thing. It is a good move on Nintendo's part. But like Dan said, it is kind of like okay, thanks for catching up with everybody else. <laughs> yeah, very true. But I mean, it's one of those things. Nintendo operates in a bubble, so they're, they, they're not they, really they're not really competing with uh like the whole next gen thing really yeah. are they they're they're sort of doing yeah. their own thing um yeah. and i guess that's what people like about them as well really isn't it and like i said yeah. they've they've done it before and i mean even even on 3ds there's a ton of indie stuff on the 3ds as well that's where i played the first steam world dig was oh, was on cool. the 3ds same and where i played the first it's where i played citizens of earth before i then went on and bought it on pc I will I will say that you have a you do have a perfectly valid point nestled in there, Terry, in the in the uh, in the accessibility of it due to the fact that it's essentially a mobile platform. Yeah. Uh, all of these developers uh, are developing a game that a game on a console that many people treat as a alternative to playing games on the mobile phone. It's just as accessible. A lot of people carry it around in their bags and play it here and there. And they're playing it on a marketplace, or sorry, they're releasing their game on a marketplace that is heavily curated, unlike, uh, you know, Xbox Live Arcade. I, I was just yeah. saying the, the the Apple Store and the the Android Store, which would be the direct competitors. You know, yeah. instead you've got you've got the Switch Store or the Nintendo Store, and it's heavily curated, and every game that's on there does get looked over and yes okay there are indie games that are available on pc console blah blah, blah 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 but if we ignore as as nintendo do those other platforms uh then then yeah they're doing a great job in the mobile market and you know nintendo are always doing a pretty good job of being nintendo 
still doesn't give them the right to call it nindies, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> that's just marketing spill. And like, like Dan said, you, you can go against anyone with their marketing nindies. tactics. As I mentioned I'm earlier, not. just because you can run Super Meat Boy at 4K doesn't mean you can run everything at 4K. Although it is currently uh, one of the cheapest 4K Blu-ray players, so they've got that going for them. Well, it worked for the PlayStation 2, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Well, yes, yeah. I mean, everyone and their nan had a PS2, either for a DVD player or a games console, really. Yeah. So, Yeah, you can't throw away it worked for the PS2 like that. It, it definitely worked for the PS2 like that. They were still selling them in Brazil and Mexico while the PS3 was selling. Oh, Dan, right yeah, but here. you can't mention Brazil and Mexico because they still manufacture and sell Master Systems and Mega Drives in Brazil. So Too right. They should do it here, mate. <laughs> they should. <laughs> I agree. Why, why bring out a classic one when you could have the original one? Exactly. I was actually talking to a developer uh, to tangentialize as we're wrapping up on this topic, but I was talking to a developer uh, while I was over in Gamescom. Uh, Dan was there too, and uh, mm. the guy had made a little, a lovely little platformer, uh, Necrosphere, mm. uh, which was a two-button game. I mentioned it at the start of last week's podcast, and he said, kind of like, I'm. I designed it for mobile, but when I started making it, it felt so much more like I I could get away with selling it on PC. It has the content, it has the style. Uh, hopefully, I can get it onto PS4. I've spoken to them, uh, and everyone seems pretty pretty good to go there. The dream is to get it onto a Nintendo console, and that makes perfect sense. And he was, you know, he was like, "Yeah," because then I can be like, "I'm Miyamoto," etc. Which is it's you know it's great that Nintendo has that reputation. But then he said at the end. But Nintendo aren't in South America, so I'm going to have to either start a company in North America or find somebody in North America who can talk to Nintendo for me because they won't talk to me because I'm in South America. That sucks. Yeah, it's definitely a bit unfortunate. It's insane. That's Nintendo, though. <laughs> right, I mean, so... And on that bombshell, that brings us to the end of... Uh, Episode five of the uh, big boss. That sounded like a classic ending right there. It did. And now you've ruined my outro. What do you think you're doing? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Right. Anyway, so that brings us to the end of episode five of the uh, big boss battles, big boss babble. And uh, again, joining me this week was George. Bye bye. Uh, Dan one. Hello. Goodbye. And Dan too. As apparently they've swapped places now. <laughs> Dan oh. too, are you there? <laughs> I think Mr. Dan Sullivan has gone or his push to talk key has broken. <laughs> I'll be out I'll be correctly, thank you. Okay. So what's so just just Dan then, yeah? Okay. And it's goodbye from Dan. Goodbye. <laughs> goodbye from George. I thought it was Editor-in-Chief Dan. (laughs) We'll end this soon, I swear. I'm just going to stop the recording. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. 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 Bye.